Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper. I said hello different that time. Did it throw you off? <laughs> this is Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. A podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. Growing up as a kid, one of our favorite things to do, like as siblings, during bath time was to make bubble beards. I'm the oldest, so I did a lot of babysitting as well, and when some of my siblings were babies, and I was old enough to watch them or help with bath time, this meant bubble beards and bubble hats, basically creating little bubble Santa Clauses. It was fantastic and irresistibly adorable. As an adult, however, I still find bubbles very beautiful and magical, with their floating rainbow spreading nature. While my mother and I visited Edinburgh a few years back, the street artist let my mother make enormous bubbles with a simple contraption of a string and two straws. She spun around and created huge snakes of large bubbles which floated magically in the high street. So for all the magical memories, as well as, we'll find out, some mathematical mysteries, let's take a few minutes for a little bit of gratitude for bubbles. Also, Blossom and Buttercup, but like, maybe not this episode, but someday. (laughs) While you can see bubbles in nature around moving bodies of water, like waterfalls or streams or ponds, and certainly in the surf of waves, how did we first create our own bubbles? Turns out, we need to look back about 3,000 years to the Sumerians and the first soap bubbles. The soap was made from water, goat towel, and plant ash and produced bubbles. The colors of the bubbles actually comes from light wave interference from both the front and the back surfaces of the bubble, and the colors can change depending on the thickness of the bubble. Throughout history, with soap at hand, people around the world continued to make their own substances for producing bubbles. You just kind of did it on your own. It wasn't for a long while until we had, like, bubbles you could buy in the store. Like, on purpose. Bubbles are something of a head-scratchers for mathematics, as it turns out. According to the National Museum of Play, bubbles, quote, illustrate the mathematical problem of minimal surface, assuming the shape with the least possible surface area to contain a given volume. A bubble is a closed soap film. Due to the difference in outside and inside pressure, the bubble's surface has a constant mean curvature. Bubbles demonstrate concepts such as flexibility, color formation, reflective or mirrored surfaces, concave and convex surfaces, transparency, various shapes, elastic properties, and comparative sizing, all of which make them useful in problem-solving applications. Close quote. Basically sounds like bubbles do it all. Because of the difference in pressure on the inside and the outside of the bubble, air pressure, we get the bubble shape of constant curvature. So that's how it, like, does its weird blah 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 bubbly thing. You know, you know what I mean. In 1884, it was discovered that the bubble was the best way to contain the most volume with the least amount of area. And in 2000, it was also officially discovered that merging two bubbles was the best, most efficient way to combine volumes of air with the least amount of surface area. Basically, they merge and then choose the most efficient size with the least amount of surface area possible to contain the combined air. And it just does it all on its own. It's amazing. Soap bubbles have inspired many scientists, including Leonardo da Vinci, who contemplated surface tension of liquids by observing bubbles, as well as Sir Isaac Newton, who was fascinated by the rainbow of colors in bubbles. Beyond scientists, bubbles have also inspired architects. The Munich Olympic Stadium roof was inspired by bubbles. When it comes to playing with bubbles, a lot of the evidence that we have for ancient playtime comes from not just text, but also paintings. There are many paintings from the Middle Ages which depict children playing with bubbles. 
you could find bubbles in both secular and religious pieces of art. And not only there, but also on tombstones, on postcards, in songs, ornaments, cartoons, and advertising, even on the covers of physics books. Symbolically, bubbles have represented transience, how life always changes, also the transient nature of power, wealth, beauty, promises, and even death. Apparently, sometimes the Grim Reaper was accompanied by bubbles, and not just a scythe. And the bubble bursting represented that change from life to death. I have never seen, personally, a bubbly Grim Reaper, but I do need to go look that up now. Because that changes things. These days, bubbles continue to shine in art all on their own, with bubble artists making unique displays of bubbles, like well-known artists Louis Pearl and Fan Yang's Gazillion Bubbles show. Bubbles are more than just things of child play, but if we are talking about the play bubbles that you may have used as a child or an adult, they're still fun either way, those particular bubbles were developed in a number of places. But one we will focus on for the moment is a chemist from Tübingen, Germany in 1948. And initially, he wasn't even trying to make a plaything. He was trying to create a detergent. The chemist's name was Rolf Hein, and he was initially trying to make a detergent in order to provide for his family in post-war Germany. The bubbles he created were big, beautiful, and floated just a little bit. Hein sent out to figure out a way to deliver these bubbles without kids needing to mix the substance by hand. It was when bartering ended in Germany and the Deutschmark came into play that he could finally set in motion his vision of creating a toy soap bubble that he could manufacture and sell. His company became Pustifix, which was a combination of the words blow and quick in German, and had a mascot of a yellow teddy bear blowing bubbles. The first bottles sold were aluminum and topped with a cork, into which was attached a metal wire coiled into a hoop shape, through which you could blow to make bubbles. There were, however, a few problems with the first design for packaging, like leakage and rusting metal hoops. The next bout of packaging came about in the 1960s, when plastic became more common. The aluminum cork and metal hoop were all swapped for plastic pieces, although the shape still remained the same. Also in the 1940s, a company in Chicago called Chemtoy also began to sell bubbles. In the 1960s, bubbles began to symbolize harmony and peace. These days, the formula for bubbles has been developed to become non-toxic, and there is even a formula for bubbles that glow in ultraviolet light. You can also find bubble guns that issue rapid bubbles, bubble rockets that leave a trail of bubbles behind. Bubbles are used by children and adults sometimes at weddings rather than using rice or flower petals. And sometimes as you're traveling the world, you can even find bubble-shaped containers to take home as souvenirs. There's a few things you can do to increase how long the bubble will hold its shape before it pops. Because gravity brings water down in the bubble film, by adding glycerol, you can increase water viscosity, which will help the bubble last longer. You can also add sugar to water to keep it from evaporating. Or you can get longer bubbles by blowing bubbles in a more humid area, or by wetting the surfaces around the bubbles so that, like, if it hits the cement but the cement's wet, it's a little less likely to pop. There are about 200 million bottles of bubbles sold each year. And beyond those you buy, you can still make your own bubbles at home. Now let's take a quick second for a few records held by bubbles. The largest bubble wall was created by Fan Yang in Ontario, Canada. It was 156 feet long and 13 feet high. It was created in 1997. There was about 4,000 square feet of bubble in that, and it stayed up for about 5 to 10 seconds. The biggest bubble ever blown? was about 50 feet by 2 feet in diameter, and it was created by David Stein in 1988. Apparently, there is also a record for the most bubbles blown with a tarantula in one's mouth. 
I don't know who decided that that needed to be a thing. But in case you were curious, Ray Macarig of San Jose, California, blew 119 bubbles in 2001 in Paris with a live tarantula in his mouth. So that is apparently a thing. Now, I've never done this, but there's also apparently a record for the most people fitting inside a bubble, which sounds fantastic. When I was a kid, we had like plastic bubble that you could read in. It was basically like a huge plastic dome that was filled with air, like being on the inside of an air mattress, but we called it the bubble. And it was absolutely magical to read in there. And I expect it would be even more magical to be inside of a live bubble. I don't think bubbles live. To be inside of an actual bubble. But in case you were wondering, in 2006, Sam Heath, also known as Sam, Sam the Bubble Man, made the world record for most people in a bubble. He made the record with 19 boys and girls who were over five feet tall in a single bubble in 2006 in London. Bubbles were introduced into the National Museum of Play in 2014. From helping us learn about mathematics and science to making playtime and parties more fun and beautiful, I am grateful for the quiet, floaty magic of bubbles. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care.